Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let's get at the story. London Police Service will engage in a news conference tomorrow concerning sexual assault charges against five members of the 2018 Team Canada Juniors. How is this case likely to move forward through the court phase? Does five defendants make the case or cases more difficult? Will the extended time period between the alleged assaults and the actions of Hockey Canada and the London Police Service complicate things for either the prosecution or the defense or both? We're glad to have back with us Jacob Jessen, law firm of Rottenberg, Shidlowski, and Jessen in Toronto. He is, uh, has a great deal of experience with sexual assault cases. Jake, thank you for coming back. Good to talk to you. Thank you. You too, Roy. So what happens uh, tomorrow? You know, the London Police Service will have the news conference. I think we can predict what likely will take place then. But what happens after that news conference? What's, how does the sequence begin? First things first, tomorrow, there, there, it sounds like there's going to be a, an initial court date. And, you know, a lot of uh, people are speculating about what that'll mean. But what that really is, is just an administrative date. Uh, I'm sure the players will not be present. Their lawyers will appear most likely on Zoom. Uh, really to just indicate to the court that they have counsel, that they're aware that uh, of the charges that are being uh, that have been laid against them, and then to set uh, an- another date sometime in the future. These administrative court dates are really just placeholders. The real work happens outside of the court dates. The initial step being the Crown Attorney will prepare all of the evidence that they have, that the police have gathered, uh, and prepare the packages of disclosure to provide to all the various lawyers that have been uh, lined up and retained in this matter. Okay, so when you look at this particular case, you look at five individuals who've been charged with sexual assault. Do you expect it's going to be trial by judge or trial by judge and jury or depending on the individuals, perhaps a combination of the two? Well, so uh, if they're charged together, one of the charges uh, that I believe Mr. McLeod is facing is gang sexual assault, which avails himself uh, or allows him to avail himself of a preliminary inquiry. Uh, and then uh, to proceed from there uh, to superior court. I expect it will be uh, trial by judge and jury. That's usually how things uh, in this, these types of cases are at least are chosen at the outset. You won't hear about that for some time, though. That kind of decision comes later on down the road. Uh, the first sort of initial steps of the case, getting disclosure, reviewing that, speaking to the Crown Attorney. You know, there's a lot of uh, sort of uh, work that happens outside of the courtroom uh, while these administrative things are, are going on first. Uh, before those kinds of decisions are made uh, with uh, the lawyers and their clients. But as, as long as one client, as long as one uh, accused person chooses uh, judge and jury, then the rest of them will have to go along with that. Okay. So of all the things that will be happening outside the courtroom prior to a trial starting, what's the most significant? Well, really, the, 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 really the issue is here is it's been such a long time since these happened. So there's going to be a real critical analysis of all of the disclosure and the evidence. Uh, what have the police gathered? There's this open question that's on everybody's mind, which is what changed? Uh, there was a police investigation concluded back, I think, in February 2019. Charges were not laid at that time. Uh, the investigation was closed. So why now? Why, why all of a sudden uh, have things changed? Have the London police decided to... Uh, bring these charges forward at this time. And I, I, that's an open question I think people are wondering, and, and we're hoping that we'll, you know, we might hear something from the police about that uh, tomorrow or in the coming days. But I expect there'll be some 
information in the disclosure for the lawyers to parse through as to, you know, what was the additional information that changed things. Um, and so that's going to be a significant part of the case, I think. Yeah. Jake, have you run into this sort of situation before with a police service closing a case and then reopening and under similar circumstances in a sexual assault um, situation? It's, it's pretty rare. I, frankly, most of the time when police um, officers get a complaint of sexual assault, they, they rarely close the investigation uh, at the outset. They're usually more likely to lay a charge and allow the Crown Attorney to do that analysis and decide whether or not there's reasonable prospect of conviction or whether it's in the public interest to proceed. So I think it's pretty rare that they close uh, the, the investigation back in 2019. Um, we're not sure why that is. We're hoping that that will come out, obviously. Uh, it's a big question for everybody, um, but I'd say that that's pretty rare. It, on the rare occasion in general, not just necessarily with sexual assault cases, yes, police can reopen an investigation if there's new information, new evidence that comes to light, um, or perhaps a second look at uh, the same, you know, the same information causes someone to rethink things, you know, and, and decide that, hmm, we, we really didn't analyze this properly the first time. So, Jake, uh, let's get to this question. Do... Uh... So, so, so what happens, all of the players, the five of them, have pled not guilty. What happens if one or more of the charged players completely or partially changes their plea, and does that happen with any degree of regularity? Yeah, so, so first of all, so none of them have actually entered a plea of any sort. Um, what they've actually uh, done is, that, to their lawyers, they've issued statements, which is pretty standard crisis management technique, okay. uh, indicating that they are going to plead not guilty down the road. And, yeah, and so, my mistake. I, I misstated process, that. Well, it's, it's fine. It's actually important to distinguish because it's part of this process that I was talking about before the break in terms of the initial steps will be discussions with the Crown Attorney uh, and possibly with the judges involved as well, case management judge, trying to figure out whether there is a way for one or two or some of them or even all of them to uh, resolve the case without a trial. I, I expect in this case that's pretty unlikely to happen. But of course, as you said, it is possible uh, that one or let's say one of them uh, does decide to enter a plea or make some sort of uh, negotiated deal with the Crown Attorney. And I think that certainly would change if hypothetically that happened. That would certainly change uh, the case for all of the accused uh, in terms of, you know, what is that, uh, what is the deal? Is that testify as a witness for the Crown? That's always possible. Um, and so I, I think, you know, and, and also what are the facts if a person, if one of them is going to plead guilty, what are the facts that they are agreeing to? Do those facts um, assist or help or hurt the other four, let's say, hypothetically. So mm -hmm. it will be interesting to see if that happens. I think it's possible. But at this stage, none of them have entered a plea because that those other few steps have to happen in terms of the disclosure review and the negotiation and discussions with the Crown to figure out if that's even possible. Yeah, so lots of conversations uh, behind the scenes. Do plaintiffs ever change their accusations in court or, or before a trial? Uh, it, it does happen, and um, you know, on on some occasions where you see uh, a person, a complainant, come in and give a further statement. Again, I don't think it's going to happen here, and the reason for that is um, there's been pre some pretty extensive investigations already in this matter uh, by at least three entities, right? The NHL, Hockey Canada, and the London Police, uh, as well as a civil suit that went forward with pleading. So, um, her version of events, although it's not fully public at this point. Uh, is obviously very well documented at this point. And I think for her to come forward and uh, suggest uh, a different change uh, of facts would be a very difficult position uh, 
to put the crown and the police uh, into in terms of continuing with this case. So I don't think we're going to see that. I think it's been pretty extensively documented. It sounds like that's perhaps why the police have changed tactics now and have now uh, led to charging uh, these five individuals. But we will we will see. It's always possible. Jake, if you were representing any of the players, what are the steps you would be engaged in right now? So I, I, right now, I think it's important. Uh, there is some other evidence out there that have been shown to other uh, you know, media uh, individuals in terms of uh, video clips. There's at least two video clips out there that I think are in the possession of the accused and some text messages. So I think all of the lawyers right now will be looking at gathering whatever evidence they have uh, in terms of uh, that could assist their client and uh, in, in looking at whether or not there is evidence that could suggest that either uh, their client was not involved in any of the alleged uh, sexual activity because there's supposedly eight individuals that were involved in this and only five of them were charged. So I think the assumption might be that uh, one of these charged individuals may not have been the one to actually engage in the activity that's alleged and it could have been one of the people that wasn't charged, for example. Or alternatively, looking at evidence that would suggest that the complainant actually consented, uh, either consented to the, um, uh, the acts themselves or perhaps gave what's called mistaken but belief, uh, mistaken uh, but honest belief in consent. In other words, by virtue of her verbal words or her actions uh, led to the individuals believing she was in fact consenting at the time. So um, I, I, there's going to be a bit a critical analysis of the evidence on behalf of the lawyers looking at all of that and looking at the evidence that they will assist their clients in that respect. So if you're representing EM, the young woman we only know as EM, what are you doing at this point? At this point, EM, uh, she really takes a back seat while these initial stages work, uh, work their way through the court system. Um, she'll you know, be waiting to hear from the Crown Attorney. If there is going to be a trial, she'll be subpoenaed. Uh, she'll be required to come to court and testify. But at least at the outset, until that's done or until there is a preliminary inquiry, um, her role in this is really a, a backseat one where she's just sort of waiting to hear whether she's going to be subpoenaed. The evidence has already been provided to the police. She's done what she needed to do in that respect. And uh, she'll just have to wait at least until, this, until the other sort of steps play out uh, with the other people involved. Okay, I, I have 30 seconds and one more question for you. Will the financial settlement with Hockey Canada and agreed to by EM play a part at all in the, in the proceedings? Uh, not not in the actual criminal trial itself. It's not going to concern itself with a financial settlement at all, um, other than uh, perhaps any suggestion that she, you know, this might have been uh, uh, around money. But that, you know, I think that that's probably going to be a difficult uh, suggestion to make. Um, but, a, you know, we'll see we'll see sort of how Hockey Canada, uh, if they go after the players, if they're ultimately convicted to for repayment of those settlement funds. So okay. that will be interesting to be as well. Jake Jessen, thank you, uh, Jake. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Roy. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.